everybody, welcome to the Captain's Corner Podcast. This is Coach Jake with always with me, Coach Matt. Um, first things first, spring's on the horizon, all right? The weather's getting nicer out. We got uh, got to get in there and get some time in the cage, though. Get ready for tryouts. Our high school season's coming quick. If you need to rent a cage, check out lakefrontdugout.com. $20 for a half hour. Get some work in. Go online now and book your cage. Matt, how are we doing today? I am doing great. It, it feels like we could be outside today. It's, what, f- mid-50s? I don't know. I, I took like an hour-long walk with my dog today, and I only had a hoodie on. So. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I love this time of year, except for how wet it is and sloppy yeah. it is. But. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, that's what good thing about the turf fields is that, you know, if the high school coaches, I mean, geez, if, if high school coaches had the tryouts this week, you could probably do infield on the diamond. Yeah. Which would be really cool. Just need a little sun. Yeah. Heat, heat it up a little bit, yeah. dry it out, good to go. Yeah, so we know. got today, Maddie. I heard you got uh, you brought someone on for us today. Yeah, so I, um, one of my good friends, uh, going to be on the podcast today, Nick Schmidlkoffer. Um, how to? I probably pronounced that last name slightly wrong, but Nick will tell you how how to do it right. But Nick, I played with Nick in high school and college. He's a Carthage grad as well, and you know, even when we were younger guys in college, Nick always was top notch in terms of the training really big in the training, really big in how to prepare yourself mentally and physically to be on the field. Uh, I can't say I did everything Nick recommended. But, uh, <laughs> buffalo mac and cheese wasn't on the onions. Yeah, I, 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 I can't say, you know, no nicotine was my favorite thing to do, you know, or uh, no tobacco products. But, no, either way, super excited. Uh, Nate's um, Nick is now a chiropractor living in Muskego. Uh, super excited to have him on. So, Nick, can you hear me? Yes, and first, Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, first and foremost, uh, the biggest question. Give me a correct pronunciation of the last name. You did it right. Schmidl Kofer. Okay, Schmidl Kofer. Kofer. Okay. That's a mouthful, Kofer. dude. Everyone calls him Schmidl. Tell me it's Kofer. Everyone says Kofer because, you know, it's easier to say, but tell me it's Kofer. You, you had to have been the last kid in kindergarten to, to be able to spell their name, write their name out. That's a lot. Uh, that, that may have been true. I know my parents... Uh, you guys ever heard the A&W Rip Your song? Yeah, I think I've never so. heard I it. I think I have. They, they used, that's what they used to, uh, that rhyme, that tone, to uh, help spell my name. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's elite level teaching and right there. And, Nick, I do apologize, and I don't know if you know this, but the only tradition we have on Captain's Corner podcast is do really bad intros of our guests. Yes. That's really our only tradition. That's our, uh, that's our claim to no fame. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I will, just off, just off memory... I know for a fact you were all everything at Muskego High School, all conference, and uh, real big in football, real big in baseball, right? Uh, yeah, not really all conference, but I was good. Um, well, then that conference uh, needs a revote. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then uh, you went to Carthage College, and I do know the year, I mean, I guess I don't know exactly with, because I, I graduated, so you're a year younger than me, but I feel like the year after, weren't you like, you know, second team, all, all academic, all American, or something like that? Yeah, so I, a senior year, I was the first team academic All-American. Um, wow. I did not have any other um, awards through through the CCIW or anything like that. My only awards was CCIW was sophomore year. Okay. Um, but yeah, then I went on to chiropractic school, and I became a chiropractic neurologist. Okay. Um, and so basically I have, besides the typical three-and-a-half-year degree at chiropractic school, learning about the human body um, and nutrition, I have additional training in neurology. Um, So I treat a lot of neurological disorders. Um, Those may be concussion, post-concussion syndrome, 
uh, mental health disorders, neurodegeneration, ADHD, autism. Um, I was treating patients for the Neurologic Wellness Institute in Chicago for the last five years um, and just moved back to Muskego. And we now have a clinic in Waukesha uh, that's been open for about four months. Um, and it's still the Neurologic Wellness Institute. It's our fourth clinic. Um, so it's really exciting because I get to come back home, be around family, uh, especially with a kid on the way, and uh, and bring a great service that we do treating, treating patients that generally don't have um, a lot of say in their care and they just kind of get thrown medications uh, and help them succeed. Well, that's awesome. Like I, I said, I really do mean this, and I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke at you. You're probably one of the smarter guys, on the, if not the smartest guy on the Carthage baseball team. Again, that doesn't say too much. <laughs> That's not as big as an accolade as you would expect. But, uh, no, it is, it is really cool, too. And um, I like that you use the combination of chiropractor and the neurological side of things, too, because a lot of times they can coincide with one another. And, and especially with you being a former athlete, do you find that, and I know you just opened this clinic, it's, it's brand new, but, you know, do you happen to see athletes that come in, young athletes that come in, or is it more or less just like an older clientele? Um, no, we actually, we see a lot of young people, if anything, because um, a lot of people, that a lot of kids that get concussions, um, they can develop what's called POTS or dysautonomia, um, where they have difficulty standing when sitting uh or sorry standing from a sitting position or standing from a lying position um and then when it comes purely for athletes for performance um it's something that we've always uh taken in but it's hard to market for um because a lot of these athletes you know they go to personal trainers and they go other places and they're not necessarily like we're so clinical so um in Chicago, I saw, I was able to see a few Blackhawks and some other hockey players. Um, I did see a couple of kids from Kenosha that were sent down my way from guys you know, like uh, John Hanser, uh, Joe Farrell, uh, if you might know them. And uh, yeah. so I have been able to work with athletes um, in a variety of ways. And, and it's always fun working with athletes, right? Because they want to get better uh, for their performance. I can push them in a certain way that sometimes they can't push other patients that um, you have to take slower uh, and really kind of look at the minutia of things. And so, uh, yeah, athletes are, athletes are a lot of fun to work with um, and especially just assessing and finding things that they don't necessarily even know that could be a deficiency or that they use other compensations to make up for deficiencies, uh, whether it be in their visual system or in their um, mental system or autonomic system. So, that's like I said, it's a lot of fun to kind of show insight into athletes who think that they're great at everything, and then you can kind of get them better uh, pretty quickly. And you know, that's as a really so I do a lot of lessons, and me and Jake both coach teams, and Jake, you do lessons too. And you know, as a player, I never saw this. Maybe I'll, you know, when you're a player, you're into it too much, and you're just a dumb kid, I guess. But I feel like now preparing yourself for like max effort athleticism in baseball. I just feel like kids can't make that connection. And, you know, I talked about it last week a little bit, how, you know, our teams are going live right now. And uh, I was just amazed how I was like, hey, you know, can we take some practice swings before? And uh, so many times I'll talk to some of the kids because we do a pretty good workout too sometimes. You know, some kids struggle, some kids do good. And it's like, oh, well, what'd you have for breakfast today? I had pizza rolls. 
And just like, you know, like that, like that's really not putting yourself like there's a, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you had to eat like a six raw eggs like Rocky, but you probably could have found something in the middle. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Nick? And again, you can expand on this any way you see fit, but like, what do you think from your experience players need to be doing more of in like the preparation and like the, to, to, to prepare themselves to be at their peak level and to prepare themselves not to get injured? That's a, that's a loaded question. Yeah, that is a loaded um, question. It's a big one. <laughs> so, so, of course, uh, you know, most most high school athletes, most even like middle school athletes, like they're they're in the weight room or they're doing some sort of training um, to to train their body, train their muscular system, um, maybe their joints to prevent injury. Um, but a lot of teenagers nowadays, they don't really think about nutrition. They don't really care about what's going into their body. Um, and they don't think that has any relation to, to their performance, but it's amazing how much it, it can. Um, I always tell people that, uh, I was never the most athletic person, but I, I worked hard and I, you know, trained my body and I, I tried to put in my body what I thought was best. And, and then I was able to succeed because I just worked hard. But if, if you have some people that are just having these like unbelievable athletic talents and, um, and fast hands and just like great power. And if they just train and, and put a little bit more effort into their day to day, it doesn't have to be perfect. But I mean, if they're just, you know, 80% on track with nutrition, 80% on track with their sleep, 80% on track with, um, their, their goals in the, not only hitting and, uh, the amount of training they put in the, the better off they're going to be. Um, and then personally, what I've learned just from, going to chiropractic school and, and doing all this uh, neurology training is how important the, the visual system is for uh, training in baseball. Is that just like mental training? And, and I guess I don't want to interrupt you, but visual, I mean, I mean, visual training. I mean, I, I, I've actually never even heard that phrase used when it comes to baseball. Have you Jake? Exactly. Visual training. Uh, I have, but it probably a little different than he's explaining it. I mean, I mean, so, I, I guess I've seen people, I've seen people like put balls in machines and say, you know, find the red one, find the blue one. We actually have done that before for drills. Yeah. So there was a drill we used to do when I was uh, playing travel ball at RBC. We would do, they would take marker on the baseballs. And like you said, they put little colored dots on them, you know, mm-hmm. and then what they would do though, is they would throw up two of them, okay. like one higher, one a little bit lower. And while it's like hanging in the air, they'll say, whatever color they want you to hit. And then, so you get in your load and you stay back and then he tells you to color and you, you know, hit that ball. So it was just stuff like that. And then that would translate, we'd progress it even into front toss. Mm-hmm. So there would be a ball with multicolored dots on it. And then you got to like call out the, the color you see when you're swinging, when you hit the ball. Okay. What, what does, what, what, what does that mean for you? Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a great, um, that's a great drill. Like all those are great drills. Like those are kind of training what we call like go no go activities. Yeah. So um, basically, you're you're only hitting the one that you know was said to go right. Or another way to do it is maybe you have two guys, two separate uh, front tossers throwing balls. Right. One one is a lefty, one is a righty, um, and you like the player, the hitter cannot see which ball they're throwing, but where they're only hitting the red. Like, they're not hitting the green or the blue color. They're only hitting red, red, red. And it might come where they have a blue and a green. And so they obviously are taking it. They might come where it's a, a red and a 
blue and they're only hitting the red, right? So there are different ways to, to train that go, no go activity in a specific drill, which, um, is fantastic, right? Because if we can make it more specific to baseball, um, then we can train it better. And then, it, you know, it's not as much of a chore for, for players. Um, the same thing goes for location, right? Like maybe you walk into, uh, and most hitters know that, you know, they like a pitch in a certain area, right? And so you could just, you know, walk into a round, for, walk into a cage and say, this round, I'm only going to hit my pitch, right? Um, and, and you're taking more, which obviously some coaches hate, right? But, yeah, we actually do a drill like that. We, we do, I know Nate's really into, and I actually never really heard this until I started working with Nate a little bit. Like, we do like, a, I guess the plate is seven balls wide. And we do like, a, you know, uh only hit a two ball, like it started. So inside pitches for lefty or righty is just inside one through seven. So an outside for righty is always a seven. Outside for lefty is always a seven. So we try to do that. And I will say, it is just interesting. I feel like vision when it comes to baseball is kind of like timing. It's like not something that should, it's not something that people think is like the most important thing, but it really is. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, if you can't, if you're having trouble picking up the ball, all your mechanics yeah. mean nothing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. And then, and then, of course, you, I mean, once you get into, you know, guys throwing curveballs and change-ups, I mean, if you have the, if you have the eye quality, the, the eye acuity, and the ability to see different spins, um, the faster you pick up the ball to see that spin, the better chance you know where, where the ball is going to end up, right? And so, um, so that's a whole another side of the visual training. But the, just real quick, back to that like go no go activity, um, and like zone decision making. You could be even be doing it from. And I'm assuming you guys have done this, right? Like you do front toss, you do uh, side toss, you even do back toss, right? And yeah. so like basically the ball is only you know you're only seeing the ball in that last second. Like if you, especially if you're not looking backwards, right? You're just looking forwards. Once you see it, then you go hit it. Um, so there's there's different ways um, to be trained that go no go activity. Um, and location. And so like what you said is what you said exactly right. Um, that's the most basic way. I shouldn't say most basic. That is the most common way that, that guys are going to train the visual system in baseball, Mm -hmm. um, because it can be very specific to, um, to normal drills that everyone's going to do every day. The, the other piece to that, what I was just talking about with being able to pick up the ball fast is training where you're looking. Um, for any given at bat, right? You kind of want to have uh, soft eyes to like hard eyes, right? You want to be able to. Um, I've never heard that before. Expect, so think about like a ex- knowing where. So I actually heard a uh, heard a professional uh, or a previous professional baseball player say that, and that's why that's why I'm using that here. Uh, I've always termed it eye discipline, and so basically eye discipline as like with you might have. Uh, players moving in the background all the time, right? With like quick shifts, uh, the shortstop or second baseman moving, you might have a runner stealing second, right? You don't want to be able to see those other things, right? You might see them in the periphery, but you still want to stay focused on, on the pitcher, right? And so, uh, for instance, a right-hander with a right-handed pitcher, you might be wanting to look kind of at the batter's eye where that ball is going to be released, right? You're not necessarily looking at the pitcher going through his motion because there's so much movement going on the more movement that you're picking up visually the harder it is to actually pick up on the ball when it starts coming so, so i, I have to ask i have to ask this yep. 
I've heard that, and again, I'm, I mean, my playing days are long behind me, and I have no reason to lie. I heard that my whole life. Don't look at the pitcher, look at his arm slot, or something like that. I could never do it. And I don't know how you, Jake, and I'll ask you, Nick, but my ex- I tried it, but I felt like when I did that, probably like five times, it was like I had no ability to like preset myself. It was like nothing, nothing, then foop, like the arm. So like I would always look, and again, I, don't take my advice. I'm just telling you what I did. I would kind of just look just right at the pitcher's chest. Just like look at his chest and kind of like understand where the arm would usually be. Like kind of like make like a shift, I guess. Yeah. Um. How about you, Jake? What What would you do? So, I kind of I looked up to Tony Gwynn a lot growing up. So I would I would read some of his books. Oh yeah, I, he was awesome. Yeah, and I well I yeah said to be one of the best hitters of all time. So I figure if I'm gonna read anybody's books, why not his? But one of the things that he used to do to pick up the ball when hitting was like he said if you're looking in the same spot over and over and over waiting. He said it's harder for your eyes to kind of recognize, right? Because our eyes are, are our eyes are kind of built to see movement, right? Like we're designed as humans, male humans, to hunt, right? So our sure. eyes can, yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. literally why we, yeah. you know. So our eyes are really are do a really good job of picking up movement, mm-hmm. you know, because we need that to hunt and ever whatever. But they've used that for baseball now. So what Tony Gwen used to do he was look at his ear on his throwing shoulder. He'd look at his ear, and then as soon as the arm would come up, he would just, like, you kind of brought it up, Matt. He would start at the ear, and then as soon as his arm would come up and he'd separate, he would just, like, move his eyesight over, like, two inches, and he's at the ball, and he was able to pick it up. And then he also, at an All-Star game, uh, I kind of heard about this, too. They talked to, Todd Helton talked about it. Huge Todd Helton fan. Yeah, Todd Helton actually was at an All-Star game and ran into Tony Gwen and met him. And was like Tony. Tony basically just pulled him aside and was like, "Hey, you know, you, you're you're a great player. Like, how do you pick up the ball?" How do you, and that's, that's but these are the things they talked about. Yeah. And so Todd Helton said, like, after Tony taught me that, he just went on a hitting tear. Okay, so that's a kind of made it easier. We've th- that's the folksy remedy that we've all heard. What's the science, Nick? Yeah. So I, I think you guys have it right too because you're looking at a specific part of the body that's really not moving, right? The chest is not going to really start moving too much until the the pitcher is actually leaving the mound, right? Mm-hmm. He's coming downhill. And so that chest, like I said, is, is not moving much. You can basically have soft eyes on the chest. And once you see that ball come up, then you, then you go there, right? Same thing with the ear. Um, the problem with the ear is that if, if a pitcher's in a stretch, you can't actually see the ear, right? Because he's not looking at you. Mm-hmm. He's looking to third or something, right-handed pitcher. But... Um, so that's where then when the head's moving, it might be tough, right? So now if the pitcher's in the windup, he's always kind of looking straight ahead. Well, then you can pick up the ear. Um, some people say that the bill of the cap, right? Because the bill of the cap, you're always going to be able to see no matter where it's moving. Um, and, and shadows not are necessarily going to take any, any place. And I could, I could be wrong. I don't want to be, I don't want to be quoted on that Tony Gwen story because, (laughs) because I I trust your science and I, uh, it does, but I know that it was somewhere around the the pitcher's head is where he was. Well, it it seems like though the main point, and again, I I do think, and you said it, Nick, and this is one of my mottos for 2024 in baseball and in life. And I'm going to mess it up, but I, I just think about it. Like, don't let the great be the enemy of the good. Um, that's like my mantra for this year, right? Yeah. And I feel like the whole point of what we're saying is that pre-pitch, 
you should be looking at something at the pitcher that's really, I mean, I'm not going to say like below his belt, something above his belt, near his arm slot, that's not moving, so you can shift your eyes to just, the arm slot. Just a little bit. Right? Is that, want... Would that be a fair exactly. assessment? Yeah. Yep, exactly. And like, when I, when I was using the batter's IQ as an example, mm-hmm. the batter's IQ, that's where you want a little more soft eyes. So like, you're not actually focusing on a specific part of the batter's eye, because now that's a... Um, now when you're trying to pick the ball up, your eyes are dive, trying to diver, or, sorry, go from divergence, like looking far in the distance, to convergence about, what is that, maybe like 350 feet. And then all of a sudden, it's got to converge even more as the ball is coming towards you, right? Mm. So convergence is bringing your eyes together like you're trying to bring your finger in towards your nose. Divergence is moving it away out into the distance. And so the... Uh, to have like a soft eye, so basically just kind of relaxing the eyes to then know exactly where once that ball comes up, now it's a focus on that on that uh, on that ball, right, uh, or on that pitcher's release point. Um, Did you do any I, of this stuff when you were and, and and audience members? Nick was also a catcher, um, a very very good catcher, catch and throw guy. Did you do any of this catching? Because there were some guys, not a ton. But there were a handful of guys when I was catching that I saw the ball really bad. There, that I saw the ball late, yeah. and you know I um, I, I guess, and I, I guess I can only express it this way: hitting. There were some guys that I saw the ball bad, but I guess when you have only two at bats off someone, sometimes like oh maybe I just was seeing it bad, maybe it just got a bad pitch and hit, maybe my swing was just bad. But catching, I noticed more because again, catching even in a short inning, you're getting twelve pitches right to you. Like some guys, I would just pick up their spin late, or I would pick up their like arm side run late. Um, and catching, I never really focused on it as much. But wh- how about you, Nick? Did you think about this when you were playing, or maybe maybe something we all so should I have? Think, I, I think I always picked up the ball better catching because I did this. Um, as my, I have a right eye dominant. I'm right eye dominant. So basically, the um, everybody has a dominant eye. And generally, it's based on your throw. So, like, if you're right-handed throwing, and this is hard because, obviously, you can have a lefty hitter with a righty thrower. But, like, if you throw right, generally, your your dominant eye is your right eye. You can check this in a really easy way um, by, like, sticking your thumb up, uh, covering it over or putting it over, like, a doorknob, and then covering one eye and then covering the other eye. And if your eye moves, sorry, if the thumb moves off the doorknob when you're covering, let's say, your right eye, the dominant eye, then the left eye is looking at a different direction, right? Um, and so when you're hitting, and as a right hitter, if your right eye is dominant, um, it's going to be a little bit tougher because you are you have to block out your nose. Basically, you have to, um, as you're trying to track the ball in, you have to say like, oh, I don't really see my nose because if you're seeing your nose, now that's going to make that discrepancy a little bit tougher. So a lot of times you just kind of block out that medial field of vision from your right eye. Um, And so I think it was always easier for me as a catcher um, than as a hitter to to do exactly what I'm saying is to to just pick up the ball. And that's where when it comes to like visual training, I mean, I'm not, I'm never going to try to change somebody's dominant eye, but I may try to up train a left eye and a righty hitter or a right eye and a lefty hitter Hmm. um so that it's a little because you can you can have depth perception most most people have depth perception from using both eyes okay right so like one eye is looking 
one direction of the ball, the other has looking the other direction of the ball, and then therefore what's behind the ball, there's depth to it, okay? Because it's this like this binocular crossing. But you can also see depth um, a little bit sing- single singularly with one eye. It's much more difficult, um, but it's based on you know the ball in front of something else. Um, and so if you're training one eye at a time, it's actually really hard to hit. Um, but if you start doing it, you start picking up on these subtle cues um, with like the surround. So as you're focused on the ball, a little bit of the surround, you're able to pick up on these cues of, of how fast the ball is moving, um, the location of it. And then by putting it together with both eyes, now your brain, this like this, this, uh, your brain has 70% of its visual, or sorry, your brain is dedicated to 70% of the visual system. Or I, the better way to say it is the visual system goes to 70% of the brain. Yeah. That makes sense. It almost sounds like, it sounds like, you know, when you're swinging like a heavy bat, you know, or, or you're doing, you're doing something to make yourself uncomfortable. So then when you go to the standard, you're more comfortable. Yes. And, and, and that, and, and that makes sense. But how do you like, and I, I, and I, and maybe you were getting there, but like practically if I'm 16 right now and I'm like, and again, I, I have a lot of conversations with stuff like this on my team. You know, like, hey, how are you seeing the ball? How do you feel in the box? Like, what's going on in your mind pre-pitch? Things like that that I think are really valuable but are maybe undertaught. If I'm 15 or 16 and I'm like, man, I think I'm seeing the ball bad. I hit the ball good in the cage. I hit the ball good off BP. But for some reason when I hit live, I feel like I load, I land, and the ball is just right on top of me because I don't see it. What would you – assuming the person's hitting mechanics are good, assuming they're taking lessons from me, so they're fine on that end, obviously. What would you recommend a, like a kid that age do to try to prepare themselves to change that? Yeah, I would... Uh, so this is the other aspect of visualization. So we kind of talked about um, like kind of eye movement trick. Or sorry, we talked about um, the training with go-no-go. Uh, a little bit talked about eye discipline, and you could just train eye movements but then actual like visualization, right? So um, this is something I did a lot uh, sophomore through senior year um, at Carthage is visualizing pregame. So it'd be either on the bus or in my dorm or apartment, and I would visualize um, at bats um, in the park that I'm in. I would uh, bring in all senses. So basically I'd walk through what's happening when I'm uh, in the on-deck circle, um, and how I'm looking at a pitcher in that ballpark, um, kind of like the sounds behind, uh, what's my focus, what's my routine. I'd go through my routine in my head, and then as I step in the box, you're going through your routine, and then you're visualizing success, right? So you might be visualizing first that you're taking pitches that are balls. Maybe you're taking a strike. Um, that's just not your pitch. And then you're visualizing your pitch and your success, you know, hitting it in the – left center gap or hitting it right up the middle or whatever it may be. And I would run through maybe like 10 to 15 at bats before every game. Um, and it would, I would generally do one right-handed pitcher, one left-handed pitcher. Um, if we knew kind of what we were facing that day, then I would go through multiple, uh, or I would go through multiple of the slits to the right. Um, and I would also do the same thing catching. And I would, you know, put myself in the same situation of blocking a ball with a runner on third, um, throwing a run around at second, whatever it may be, back picking a guy. Um, and I think that visualization aspect, if you're saying you're seeing the ball very well in the cage, very well, front toss, very well, everywhere else, 
but you get up and it's live and now you don't have maybe a cage around you, right? You don't have that, that sense of security, the cage around you, you're now kind of on your spot. Um, you need to visualize that spot out BP or sorry, not a non BP where you don't have a cage or a shell, um, around you. The, and the next piece would be like a mental training aspect, which we can get into that. But, uh, visually it's, it's about visualization, uh, and your, your brain is, you know, you always hear game is 90% mental. Um, if you're only going to get four at bats a game and that might be, you know, 10 pitches, 15 pitches tops, unless you're Maddie who, you know, is going to get, you know, hit, you might only have four pitches in a game. Hey, that's it. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a under, I, I was going to bring this up just to make sure you don't have any records at Carthage, do you? Oh, okay, just wondering because you know, they, they, I I actually send this text message. This is not a joke. This is one hundred percent serious. Uh, one day I would love to have John Hasser or Laquay on. I send them the same text like every year. I I already sent mine this year. I said make sure those boys are back off the plate because no one's coming close to my record this year. This is all I got. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey so one thing I want to ask you too, Nick. So like when you're doing that visualization, kind of walk us through like like quite literally like what you're doing so like you say you like you'll do it um before the game sometimes even in your in your apartment in your room you know like so what does that what does that kind of look like for someone who's never heard of anybody doing that or doesn't know much about uh visualization training and picturing that success picturing your at bats so if like if if i put a little fly on the wall with a little camera on it what would i see if you're doing your visualization for sure um so the easiest way I can the easiest example is uh, Maddie knows I love the foam roll and kind of do some just general like stretching before the game. So I that is true. That. Um, I would do that in my apartment the morning of, and it might just be like a 10 minute routine, some foam rolling, a little bit of stretching. Um, and afterwards I would either sit or I'd lay down uh, with my eyes closed and I would try to put myself, you know, just in the on-deck circle. So I would think about, uh, let's say we're playing at home, so I know I'd be on the first base dugout on-deck circle. Um, and let's just say, I, I never did this, I never let off, but obviously, let's say it was a second at-bat and I was leading off, so uh, just watching the, the pitcher warm up. And I keep my eyes focused, you know, on, on where I want to see his release. And... As I'm doing that, I'm kind of, you know, I, I know where the, I'm, I'm involved completely into the scenario, right? So, you know, I know that the stands are behind me to my left. I know the dugout's behind me to my right. I might be, you know, hearing voices of guys that I know, right? Um, but, but my focus is on the pitcher and just where that release point is. And then as I walk to the plate, uh, we can get into this, the mental side, but like, I'm as, as I'm going through this in my head, I walk into the plate and I have like a verbal cue to myself. Right. Um, I love verbal cues. I I do that all the time with my guys. Verbal cues. I call them just like, just like like checks, you know, something real small. And I say, and I I, I think you'd agree with me on this. This this is almost a mechanic issue thing too. Some people are always going to have some ticks in their swing. Like some people from when they're eight to when they're 25, when their last swing, they might always like kind of lean forward or they might always have bad posture. Like I always have bad posture. So I would always tell myself, chest back, chest back. Like, I would stand in my stance with my chest too far back to try to, like, to try to fix it. So very much so, and I think this stuff you can either learn from your coach or just pick up on your own. 
like a mantra, something small. Um, I actually really like the mantra for young kids, swing, 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 take, just so yeah. they're like aggressive in the box. Yeah. Because so many kids, Nick, and I know you've been kind of, well, you're, well, I guess I'll ask this question. You're not really doing anything in baseball anymore right now, are you? Are you coaching anywhere or anything? Uh, no, not right now. Well, you should be. That's number one. Captains, yeah. I, I always need, I want a full bench of assistant coaches. Um, <laughs> unpaid. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but on a very real note, so many of the kids is at a younger stage are still in that kind of like take first mentality and you know yep. doing that mantra to me i think is big that's a big one but yeah I, I really like when you're visualizing something you have to visualize every small aspect of it like all five senses i think that's a really good way to put it i don't know if i ever did it probably as extensive as nick did which i probably should have but i say this to kids all the time when i was hitting my best i knew exactly what pitch i was already hitting yeah. Like I'm walking to the plate. I'm visualizing, like I I I I would visualize like two pitches: fastball that he left up, or a fastball that he left in. Like I know exactly what pitches I'm hitting until I get the two strikes. Those are the pitches I'm hitting. Yeah. And now if the pitcher's wild and he throws me two balls, now I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm either swinging or taking. Yeah. Right. I, I, I taking for a strike. I don't care. Or I'm swinging at one pitch. Yeah. So I do think that visual uh, uh, captains. Nate, we or Nick, we really try to talk a lot about our approach. We try to like yeah. we, we 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 try to mix it in almost every conversation we talk about hitting. Because if you have to have a good approach, that means you have to have good timing, that means you have to like know your swing. All that stuff's connected. And I feel like the like the next level, like the top echelon of knowing your approach is before you even get into the box, knowing I'm hitting these three pitches, essentially. Yeah. And if not, I'm either taking it or I'm falling it off or doing something like that. Yeah, no when I I kind of love how Nick broke it down. I love how you broke it down, Nick, because um, I was kind of taught a little bit. I think my dad kind of got me into that when I was younger and in high school. And so I would do that visualization stuff uh, pregame and whatnot while I'm stretching. Everything's kind of more like relaxed or getting loose. But the way I did it was a little bit different. I did not like do the whole like put yourself in the environment. I do love that. Yeah, that's good. Mine was more, mine was more or less of it's just me and him. Me and the pitcher, that's it. I don't see nobody else on the field, hmm. you know, and I just picture the pitcher and, like, you know, like the same things, like where to pick up the ball, and I, I picture me hitting my pitch really well and having success that way, but it was more of like a mano y mano type thing, and the verbal cues, too, I love that. I would put, I would actually put, like, right phrases in my hat sometimes. Oh, yeah, people used to do that. That was big. Yep. Uh, one of the things I put in my hat my senior year was uh, three minutes of hell which is like what Pete Rose described his at-bats as. Hmm. Like when he got in the box, it was like that, I'm putting this guy through hell for the next three minutes. Hmm. Um, yeah. Mine was kind of similar. It is, I'm not going to say it, but basically it was like, you're effed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like looking at the pitcher, like I'm stepping in the box, I'm getting in my stance, and I look at him, and I'm like, you're, you're screwed. And, you know, I really and it just have that, that mentality. That sa- but it was more of like a savage, like. Oh, for sure. Instead of like, and I love, like, Maddie, I probably should have been more like, all right, make sure. Make sure my posture, make sure I'm in my spot. But for me, it was more or less of like just having the attitude, having some attitude when you get in there. Yeah. You know, because like you only get, what, six minutes in the box in a game? Yeah, I mean. Roughly, on average. Unless you're falling off like six or seven pitches. Right. But (laughs) yeah, for me, I I love that visualization because it kind of gave me a little confidence stepping in the box. So how does the visualization, Nick, and and, and you were getting there, how does that visualization it's a tough, tough word to say. <laughs> we keep saying that over and over. It's that's getting a, worse. That's a tough word to say. <laughs> it's going to be visibizing in a minute. <laughs> how, does, uh, how does that 
you it seems like you were making a connection between visualization yeah. and mental approach or mental preparation. It seems like those would be connected, uh, right? Yes, like, sure. how do you think that, or explain that to us? Um, yeah, 100%. So, like, when I brought up verbal cue, right, you thought you went right to a mechanic, right, chest back. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then you then you took it out into more of, like, a confidence thing, right? And, Jake, you said it too. Um, you know, they kind of, like, F him and, and more of the attitude, right? So, obviously, there's there's great verbal cues for mechanic-wise, right? But, uh, and you may do that in your visualization as well, right? I mean, you're going through your routine just like you'd be up there, Um but you're, of course, going to have a verbal cue when it comes to, like, confidence, right? Hitting a baseball is the hardest fucking thing ever. And so um, having having confidence is so important. And so you need a verbal cue for confidence because, you know, you're probably going to swing or miss. You're probably going to miss your pitch one time. Um, you have to make sure you go through that. So that's part of that mental approach and always coming back to center and always having something to come back to. And so now with the visualization, the next piece, so um, with Jake, like, you're saying, yeah, you put yourself, it's a mono model. And that's 100% what it is, but there's always going to be distractions around you. And so, like, the reason why you put yourself in the environment is to not focus on that. It might you might come to your head, but you're still focusing mono e mono, right? And so to bring a visual cue that's always going to be there, right? You might put yourself in an environment, um, and let's say it's even, like, sprinkling out or raining or it's sunny or whatever it is, like, you put yourself in the environment, but it might not ever be perfect because you have a road game. You don't know what kind of pitcher you're facing. So you always have something visually and verbally that will never change. And the visual might be, right, most guys look at their bat, right? They look at the trademark on their bat. They look at one spot on their back. They might look at one spot on the plate, right? You always have a visual cue as well that you can go back to to reset yourself pitch by pitch, right? Because you might miss a pitch, and now all of a sudden you're like, fuck, this sucks. Like, um, that was my pitch, not here. Again. But, you know, you're not dead, right? So you can keep going, but you have to bring yourself back. And this is where, with the mental approach side of things, you need to have um, – baseball is all about, like, spurts, right? You you might be sitting in the dugout for a little bit, but you still have to be engaged mentally. But then all of a sudden you run out and um, you're sitting on – let's say at second base and you know, you're sitting there um, chewing some sunflower seeds or maybe you guys tobacco or whatever. And, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like balls on me, right? I gotta be ready. Well, the same thing goes when you're hitting, right? You kind of want, it's, it's that three minutes of hell, but you're, there's only that one little bit of time where you gotta be focused. When yeah. you step out, you have to kind of like, you have to bring your heart back down, right? You can't be in this fight or flight, this constant, this whole at bat, right? You're gonna right. get exhausted and you're not gonna be able to do anything. So having a verbal cue and a visual cue to kind of reset your heart rate, bring yourself back down, which is why I always did the visualization when I was kind of doing some breath work or I'd be sitting or like I said, laying down, eyes closed trying like a calm state, always getting myself back down. And I might even visualize like the the heart rate spike, kinda like that uh that um that great feeling right after a hit or that, that great feeling right you, you might be visualizing that that heart rate spike as you're starting to run down to first. So it's uh it's constantly like being able to go into a high emotion and back down, back and forth. So And and, and Nick, that's the yeah, how do you 
me and Jake, and remember, I told you before we started the podcast how me and Jake do our behind-the-scenes podcast before it starts. The green room. The green room. <laughs> the biggest thing I have trouble with these kids, and I've said this before, and someone emailed me and tell me the answer to this. Baseball is a game of spurts. I love that. There's a lot of downtime in baseball. Yeah. There's a ton. And I don't know how to communicate to kids that if you're not comfortable, like, waiting for the moment, you're never going to be a baseball player. And I don't know if that's, like, a kid thing, an adult thing, a training thing, but in, and Nick, I know you're heavily involved in football, too. Football's not that way. I mean, I mean, not to an extent. I mean, I guess plays are limited, but uh, football, you're, like, all in, you're moving, you pretty much go until you can't go anymore, then you're subbed out. Yeah. Baseball, you have to sit in the outfield you know, get to your ready position, like motionless, maybe for an hour and 50 minutes. But the one play, the most important play, you have to be ready. Do, does any of your training speak to that? Or is that, or is that something that's just untrainable for some kids? <laughs> um, oh, that's a great question. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you you could visualize that too, right? I mean, as, as visualizing a catcher, right, I love catching because you're in every play. And so that's easy, but like, you know, I played, I played right here a little bit and you're visualizing, you know, those moments, right? You can even, maybe that's where you even, while you're even sitting out in right field, you're visualizing that play, right? Um, in your downtime. And so it's kind of like you have, you have a little bit of downtime that you're just kind of like in your head, like, okay, the ball comes here, that's what I'm doing, right? You're constantly just going through your mind, keeping it somewhat active um, rather than just kind of, you know, Spitting sunflower seeds. No, yeah, that's that's I I, I do because I did because I played outfield my senior year at Carthage and never played outfield before. That was a big transition, but I did I did do that. I really do remember now you mentioned it. Thinking to myself like, okay, guy on second base. If this is if this ball's hit in front of me, I know I'm picking up the cutoff guy here. If this ball if this ball's hit behind me, I'm gonna pretend I don't see it. So the center fielder catches it. Like, 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 like these are the things I was thinking about. But no, you're right. You really do. And it probably isn't as big of a deal in football and basketball. In baseball, you have to be thinking ahead of that play. Like thinking, yeah. thinking ahead, which is just, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's well, tough because, to do. I think it's because in football and basketball, it's continuous. Mm-hmm. More basketball than football. You're reacting more. Yeah. And then, and then like, like in basketball, most of the time, they'll have set plays off a of, you know, an inbound pass or whatever. But, like, in baseball, you get, like, you know, we just talked about, you get that downtime pitch to pit, pitch by pitch. And, you know, situations can change uh, from going from pitch to pitch, too. And, like, what you're thinking about as a fielder and where to go with the ball. And, and it's, it's weird because, Nick, you must listen to, like, the Huberman Lab. Uh, yeah. I, you I must. I to all of his. Yeah. I listen to all of his because there's some. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, I think he has a lot of great guests. You are him. Uh, but, like, you are Huberman. Like, you and him are, like, the same person. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, say, no, I, I yeah. say that because one of his podcasts, a clip, like, a long time ago, maybe you would probably remember the episode. It was talking just about, like, flow states. Like, you know, like, positive, like, like, successful flow states. And, you know, when we played for the Nationals, they used to say, you know, you have to keep your levels right. That meant different things for different people. <laughs> but um, I think it's so true, though. Because, like, to me... A baseball flow state, which is, again, for people listening, flow state just means like the state of your mind and body where you're like most successful, is not the football flow state. Right. It's, not, it, it's not the doing a, a work 
flow state. Like, you have to be aggressive. And this is what I always struggled with. I didn't figure this out until I was a senior in college. You can't be aggressive like a crazy football player playing baseball. You can't be lethargic. It's that weird flow state where it's like, I'm into this game, I'm thinking ahead, but I'm also, like, aggressively doing my job only. And, again, maybe that's something we could talk to the kids about trying to trying to get that at practice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and this is where, too, like, one of the, my biggest downfalls playing baseball was, you know, anytime you – anytime I got out, right, anytime I, like, just missed one or just – you know, I'm, I'm always like kind of cursing to myself. I need my breath as I'm walking back, right? I'm almost like pouting. And like, rather than just like switching, just switching to be like, okay, you know, that wasn't it. Um, what did I do wrong? Boom. This is what I did wrong. This is what I think about next time. Go. Or maybe I just lost my approach, right? And that's where I messed up. And it's like, okay, go to the next one. Um, so that flow state too, like not letting the, the past affect your present and future, right? And so just what you just said, is as a football player, uh, a lot of times your past energizes you, right? Gets your mind attitude ready for the next play because you're just kind of, you're frustrated and you're like playing with your hairs on fire, but you can't do that as a baseball player. Um, you can't let those, uh, the visualization, the past memories affect, affect what's going to come next. You have to constantly be thinking ahead. And so it's all about that approach of what could happen next, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. and, and, and that's just so big. I mean, we all know, snowballing in baseball is huge. Third shortstop makes an error. Now the right fielder misses a cut, and now the pitcher hangs a curveball. I can't explain it. Like, I, I can't explain it, but I'm telling you, it's a snowball effect is real. Something the, shortstop, is. something the shortstop does does not impact a pitcher at all, but somehow it does. I've seen it a million times. I think it, it also goes the other way, too, like when things are going good. You oh. know, like when your leadoff guy gets on and steals second, and the next guy comes up, moves him over. Why do you think they say don't walk the leadoff man yeah. as a pitcher? Like, yeah. if for some reason, you're up by five runs, you walk the leadoff man, the game just changes. It does. And I, I can't explain it, not smart enough to. Um, I do want to talk about this topic, Nick, and I was, I'd be remiss if I missed it. I missed, missed out on it. Um, you do a lot of work with concussions, correct? Like uh, recovering from concussions? Yes. What do you, what do you see... And, and, and you can be specific with baseball or not baseball. You know, what are the biggest telltale signs of concussions in sports and baseball, maybe specific, that guys should be aware of? And also, if, we, if, you, if you, as a coach, if you see a player with these symptoms, like, what, what should we do to help these kids? Uh, good question. Um, okay. Um, so, of course, concussions, you're most likely going to get in the head, uh, especially with baseball. Um, they're... A, a concussion can happen with force to any part of the body, right? So if I guess if there's a big collision in the outfield and no one actually truly hits their head, uh, it can still be a concussion, right? Um, but most likely in baseball, it's going to be catchers getting, you know, foul tips and getting hit that way, um, or it's going to be somebody getting plunked in the head with the ball. Um, and when it comes to, like, signs and symptoms, right, obviously uh, headaches, dizziness, um, seeing light, seeing stars, visual sensitivity, um, saying like, hey, coach, I can't really track the ball. Like they're, they're saying those things. Um, signs that you might see are like, you know, kids like staggering a little bit. They just don't look like they're in their place. Maybe if you if you know their personality very well, maybe they're not speaking up as much. Um, so there's a variety of, variety of things there. Um, and then to help the kids, right? Number one is you got to get them out. Like managing, managing concussions is so multifaceted. 
Um, but the, the most important thing is making sure that they don't get hit again. Mm. Um, and so get them out of play. But then things that, that I, uh, I'm actually writing a book on is um, what you can do right after a concussion. And so, so I was always but, taught right after a concussion, um, smelling salts and a thing of red man chew. Does well, no. does that well, is that go, is that oh, still what we need? If you want to go into concussion stories, I got a great one, and it is actually <laughs> is baseball this like related. Recent? No, <laughs> this was a, it's a sidebar. Do you, do you mind? I don't want to cut you <laughs> off. You should no, 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 you should, no, no, you no, should no, probably you finish. No, you go ahead, and then I'll and then I'll finish. And I have my own kind of concussion story that that I think affected me my senior year uh, of baseball. So Perfect. Good. Okay. Well, buckle up, buddy. So buckle up. Yeah. Uh, now this must have been like some kind of snow day in high school, right? I remember my parents being at work, but the kids weren't at school. Uh, so me, my little sister and our old friend, our friend, John Lighting. Oh yeah. We lived on 39th Ave by Parkside. So yeah. we were like, Hey, there's nothing to do. Let's go sledding. Like, all right. So we wa- to grab our sleds. We walked down the road and we were going to go all the way to the golf course. But then we saw this, all this fresh powder at, by the baseball field. Sure. And uh, they had just redone those dugouts, so they were, like, pretty much, like, cinder block. At Parkside, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Parkside is still cinder block. Yeah, those they, dugouts are pretty big. Yeah, yeah those are the same ones. And uh, so they just put those in, you know, but when they did that, they kind of fixed the the grade behind the dugout, right? Mm-hmm. So there was just real steep hills all around the field, and sure. so we were like, let's just slide on these. It would be a great idea. So we did, and it was a lot of fun. I get to a point now where me and John are getting pretty silly, and... Uh, we start diving on these sleds, heading down these hills head first. So he goes, and then, uh, so now it's like my turn. So I have this little disc. I get a little running start. I jump, Maddie, and I land on my stomach, and I'm sliding down this hill. And when I landed, my hat covered my eyes. I could, I was, I was, I was screaming down this little hill. Oh, yeah. With no vision, blindfolded. I'm trying to time when I should bail because I know there's a brick wall in front of me. I didn't bail in time. And I slid headfirst into this brick wall. What were your symptoms after? I uh, can't really. Uh, I mean, it was. I cried. Yep. And uh, yep. it hurt really bad. It felt like I hit a pole. Okay. Like an actual metal pole. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like that in my head. Like, dung. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really was. It was cartoonish. Uh, my sister was just absolutely petrified. She was screaming, crying, freaking. I was going to die. John Lighting took off for Highway E to flag down a car. He just left me there lying in the snow. And he flagged down this this sweet old lady who pulled over for us, gave us a ride back to my house. They called my dad. My dad came home disgruntled because he had to leave work early. And uh, I, I, I told him I had this big knot on my forehead. I said, Dad, I, I, I think I should go to the hospital. And he put me in a recliner, gave me an ice pack. Told you to take a nap? No, he said, he, he goes, well, wait till your mother gets home. Don't fall asleep. And he put me in a recliner, oddly enough. So, so Nick, how should we have treated uh, young Jake's symptoms here? It probably wasn't the way my dad went about how sh- it. How should Jake, so how, how could we have tried to keep Jake normal? Yeah. For sure. Um, so, yeah, most people say, you know, in a dark room, lay back, relax. Like, maybe in the first 24 hours, yeah, like, rest is good, especially if somebody's, like, really bad. Um, feeling, you know, just feeling really bad, right? Now, if there's any kind of, like, vomiting or uh, a headache that is unrelenting, right, you need to go urgent care, emergency room, check it out. Like, um, if it seems like, you know, there's no, there's no overt 
you know, skull fracture damage, like no external bleeding or anything like that, um, or it's only like a superficial wound, uh, most likely don't need to go, um, but to then be able to monitor throughout. Now, in those first 24 hours, um, I actually always recommend fasting or like eating as little as possible and what you're eating is going to be, you know, whole, whole foods, like good, good meats, good fruits, good vegetables. Um, and just because when you get a concussion, it's kind of like when you're sick, right? When you're, when you have the flu, like you don't want to eat, right? You don't want to eat because your body's trying to fight something, uh, fight inflammation. That's true. The same thing when you have a concussion is, um, a lot of times your, your body's trying to take care of the inflammation in your brain. And when that happens, it actually causes a blood brain barrier disruption and blood brain barrier disruption can lead to gut barrier disruption. So now if you're eating foods, especially like a lot of processed foods and junk and uh, foods that have pesticides on it, whatever, now you're just putting more inflammation, more fuel to the fire. At the same time, when you have a concussion, your body, like the, your skull is the only area whereas your brain is the only area because it's contained within a skull where inflammation can't just go completely uh, rampant, right? You, if you have an ankle injury, your ankle can blow up because it's just skin there. But when you have a, a brain injury, you can't really have unrelenting inflammation because that the skull is there to kind of hold it down. It's got nowhere to go. Decre- yeah, the brain decreases blood flow to the brain. And so really you're only working on... Um, energy that your brain has that's stored within it so that's why another thing i recommend generally before is like everybody should be taking creatine there's no athlete out there that should not be taking creatine on a daily basis i didn't take creatine till i was i don't know two years ago like till i was you know 29 38 like i did not start taking creatine you weren't taking creatine at carthage you weren't taking anything like that no i took i took protein i mean that's a travesty that's a travesty nick even I would have told you that. Yeah. So I never took creatine. I just thought it was, you know, just to just to get bigger. I didn't think it was good. I thought it was bad for your kidneys because that's what everyone always says. But it's not. Creatine is so good for brain health, so good for um, obviously muscle health, and then it's actually good for bone health as well. And the so creatine is this stored form of energy that your brain can then use right after the concussion when you're not getting as much blood flow to your brain. And then the next piece of that is the reason why you fast is because your brain then or your body then starts converting its own fat into ketone bodies for fuel and ketone bodies are much more efficient for the brain to use and it doesn't cause inflammation like typical blood sugar. So uh, I always say fast for like, like from the moment you were hit, just fast the rest of the day, uh, maybe 18 to 24 hours and then start eating again. Um, and then you, you know, some light activity, some, um, some walking, if you have absolutely no symptoms, then you can start maybe jogging a little bit. Um, but obviously, there's most athletic trainers have a typical return to play protocol where they're taking uh, athletes through these specific stages. Um, but the biggest thing is, I guess, diet, a couple supplements um, like creatine and fish oil, uh, making sure you get enough sleep, those kind of things. Awesome. Let's um let's take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll start up in a minute. Okay. All right, let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back. To, I really want to hear Nick's concussion story. My guess is that he was running as third Ironman that day, and he happened to trip, but we'll see. All right, be right back. Sports fans, this show is also brought to you by Lighting's Property Management. 
For all your landscape needs, call Lightings. You can find them on Google. Uh, they do a, they're preparing for spring cleanups, I'm sure. Uh, some aeration, anything you need. Anything, anything, anything. Anything you need, they got it covered. Call Lightings Property Management. 262-308-4337 or 262-909-9211 for more info or a quote. Give a call today to Lightings Property Management. All right, we are back, still with Nick. He gave us a really good explanation of what his recommendation, and again, his expert recommendation, not me and Jake's uh, folksy recommendation, <laughs> a real expert recommendation on what to do after a suspected concussion or known concussion. Um, I want to hear, one, because I like stories, and two, I think I can remember, I usually remember stories better than I remember just conversations. Um, what was your concussion story, Nick, the one you wanted to tell us about? Um, okay, so uh, um, first of all, in, I know in high school I had one, and you could tell, like, now that I look at eyes all the time because I'm, I look at eyes to diagnose concussions, you can see from, like, past past pictures that, you know, my eyes were just a little bit off. Like, one eye looked a little bit lazy, right? So I know I had a concussion that probably affected my performance in baseball, that, that senior year of baseball for high school. So then, um, you know, as a catcher, Maddie, you were constantly getting hit with foul balls and other things, right? And then I also umpired um, in my summers of... of uh, going to Carthage because I was trying to pay for school. And so, you know, I get hit random times then, right? And like, you don't think anything of any of them. And so basically maybe just accumulation of hits, but never actually like a full concussion. I've uh, never had one really hurt. And, and, you know, the tips for like catching, when I wore a two-piece mask, I never had one of those foul ball hurts or one of those foul balls yeah. to the face hurt. One-piece okay. mask. I did sometimes umpiring. They shake me umpiring. I don't know why when I get hit with a mat in the, when I get hit for the fall ball umpiring, I like to forget where I am. Just <laughs> call it strike. Like those hurt way worse. So Maddie, I think that the piece of that is that you're also older now, right? And that you, could be true. Not yeah. the, you're not in the game constantly. Yeah. So part of concussion prevention too is like neck training and, and visual training. Right. So specifically visual training for like peripheral vision and being able to see things faster to then tighten your neck muscles so that you don't have that jarring aspect. Mm -hmm. But if you're not in the game seeing things faster to be able to tighten your neck muscles, well, then when you get hit as a as an umpire, you're not as ready for it. Right. You're yeah. when you're catching. You're you're ready for you're ready for something. You're ready to catch it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're just your brain and your body is more primed for uh, for that hit. Okay. Now, um, does that make sense? Oh no, that that, that for yeah, sure makes absolutely. sense. I just, yeah. I just, yeah, because to me, it's more, especially umpiring. You get really into like a lull, or like, it's it's easy like to get into like a groove, and you just and really, I thought you don't. I just always assumed umpires got hit more. It's it, it doesn't. You get hit way more as a catcher yeah. than as an umpire. Sure. So like the yeah. one that does get you, it jars you, and and that's why I have a really good mask now, and I have a and I have a cup now. Both things yeah, I did yeah. not have when I first started umpiring. I never yes. umped with a cup. You definitely need a cup. That's oh my goodness! I, I I took one. <laughs> that was the one. That was the first thing I talked to the catcher about. Yeah. I said, "You better block the ball because I'm not wearing a cup today." 
Oh man! You'll never, you'll never, you'll ever see a strike again. I, 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 I took one so bad. Uh, Qantas fall ball last year. I was not wearing a cup. Oh, I no. took one so bad. Um, the the next like three pitches, I'm like sweating. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sweating. My throat's dry. Just like that, shaking. Hey, the next two calls are <laughs> strike. Yeah. So I've learned my lesson. But yes, what you said, Nick, makes sense. Uh, what do you got? Okay, so then um, the summer between my. It was either, I don't remember exactly, it was between my sophomore and junior year or junior and senior year. Um, I was playing a summer league game. Um, I took one uh, hitting. I, I took one off the head, um, just a pitch straight straight to my head. Um, I was able to turn, and it kind of got me in like the ear hole or maybe just above. And, of course, what you do, you, you, know, you go down, you stand up real quick, you run down to first base, right, and you keep playing. And... If I would have known what I know now, um, definitely had a concussion. You know, you you drive home and it's like you just don't feel right driving home. You're a little nauseous. Um, just feel out of it. Kind of when the days are like almost like you're in a bubble um, and like things are moving too fast around you. Um, it was towards the end of the game. Maybe I think it was like probably played in seven innings games. It probably been like fifth or sixth inning. So you just kind of go back out there, finish the game, and, and go. Um, but that concussion I feel like affected my next years of playing um, because my senior year um, I had the pretty bad uh, yips and yips like so everybody doesn't know yips is you know you're trying a second baseman trying to throw to first it's just a short throw should be an easy throw but you know you throw it into the ground or throw it over the dugout uh, as a catcher um, it's more you're throwing it at the pitcher's feet or you're throwing it over their head um, I can't believe and, you had the yips. So this is when I was gone because this because this must have been the year I, after I graduated. Because I mean, for sure, it was for sure my senior year. It was the first weekend of playing. Um, we were playing Oshkosh, um, and it was I was catching a doubleheader, and it was the start of the second game of the doubleheader, and my arm just kind of felt weird. Where I just yeah, you know, it, it was a little chilly out in you know Kenosha at the time. And, uh, my arm just felt weird and like almost like it hurt. And so I had to throw the ball like really hard to actually get it to go straight. And if I didn't throw it hard, it would go all over the place. Um, and so with the yips is it's, it's kind of a mental issue, right? And so what you know about concussions is concussions always affect the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that's really important for decision-making, uh, and executive functioning. And then if it goes deeper into what's called the basal ganglia, that's turning movements on and off. So the yips is something that should just be completely natural when um, for, for an athlete or for a baseball player who's done it his whole life, should be completely natural. His mind, his, his conscious mind takes over and basically uh, does, does not know how to actually throw, do the movement of throwing the baseball. Hmm. Um, and so if I had to try to pick somebody on the first, super easy. If I had to try to throw it on the second, super easy. It was all reactive. But doing something as simple as just throw it back to the pitcher, I, would, I was like, I was shooting free throws. I was like trying to lob it or, uh, or I had to throw it as hard as I could right at the pitcher. Um, I bet Augie didn't like that. Augie yeah. did not like that, I bet. <laughs> and so, no, not at all, right? And so, but either way, it was like, I just got to get the job done. I just got to get it back to the pitcher. Um, and it happened. I, I struggled with it the whole senior year, kind of on and off. And I 100% think that was due 
to me getting a hit in the head either the summer before or the, or the one before that. And who knows, maybe it was if it was between myself my sophomore and junior year, then maybe I had another hit and, from umpiring or whatever. And but yeah, it was so I know now that the yips, um, I know what it is in the brain. I know like runners can sometimes get yips. Um, uh, hockey, hockey players, baseball players, uh, obviously basketball players at the free throw line can get yips. Um, and it's all a problem that generally occurs after a concussion and then the conscious mind takes over. Um, and so I, I'm almost positive that was due to that. I think, uh, Do you think you should have done yeah. something different in your, like, I guess in your recovery so that uh, the day you got hit by that, that pitch, um, or suspected concussion, maybe for sure concussion, do you think in order to prevent maybe those yips down the line, you should have done something differently in your re- like immediate recovery? For sure. Like, okay. I mean, I, I always ate decently healthy, but it's not like I was perfect. And so, um, knowing what I know now, I definitely would have did exactly what I said. Fast, I would have taken creatine. I would have uh, had some fish oil. Um, and heck, I probably would have seen somebody that does similar work to me where who looks at concussions functionally so I could, you know, retrain the visual system retrain my hand-eye coordination because um you know looking at how my brain responds now there are certain things that are like yeah it's probably because i had the yips or actually probably because i had a concussion and the yips were a result of of what i see um objectively when when somebody looks at me clinically so i actually um, still i still get the yips dude like as a coach that's why, like, I, I really don't feel comfortable throwing BP a lot. Do you think it's the yips, or it's just you're not comfortable doing it now? No, I mean, like, there will be times where I'll take grounders, and I just throw one, and I have no idea. I've had to do push-ups in my own practice <laughs> because I hit the top of the net. And it's like, and I know how to, when I play catch, I play catch fine. Yeah. But when I gear up to, you know, there's even sometimes when I play catch, like, Paul, my, my guy I used to coach with, Paulie. Yeah. He used to hate playing catch with me. Every time I'd ask him, he'd be like, ugh. Because he knew, and that was at the time I was having those yips a lot. Like, I couldn't yeah. play catch. You know, I almost had to retrain myself how to play catch. But my, my yeah. question, Nick, would be, say something like, like let's just use me as, as an example because I told the story. I obviously got a concussion that day. Yeah. Probably worse. Yeah. Um, now, now, I'm, now I'm 30, right? Now I'm 30 years old. You're I'm 32. I, you're not 30. I'm 31, whatever. Are you okay? 31. Yeah. Say, you're the uh, same age as me, dude. Yeah, so <laughs> we... Um, but see, I still experience some of that stuff. So, like, what is it? If you're, if it's something like that that happened to you a while ago, is there? Any, is it? Am I just too far gone and I'm screwed now? Or uh, you're definitely not too far gone. Um, I've seen people that have had concussions 15, 20 years ago, um, and they come to me and they still have symptoms, and those symptoms may have been uh, lasting that long, and they get better. Um, what's What's cool about the brain is it's plastic; it can change, it can mold. Uh, that's why we practice. That's why we train things, right? Yeah. Um, and so the all you need is the right stimulus to change the brain to um, improve any symptoms that you may currently have from that concussion. Or a lot of times, too, because after a concussion, 80% of people um, respond completely normal. So, like, after um, within 14 days, there's no symptoms. They feel better. And everyone says, okay, the concussion's healed. You're good to go. But really what's happening is there's might be an issue that's going on in the brain and the brain is good at compensating. Um, we have all these different fail safes uh, and different routes that they, that neurons and that electrical signaling can take to keep people from having symptoms. 
but that doesn't mean you're working optimally. You're, you're working functionally well. And so even though a concussion might heal within seven days and you can go back out and play, that doesn't mean that you're now at concussion zero the next time, right? I, I think what I do um, with training the brain and doing brain rehab, we can get people back to concussion zero if they've had three concussions because you can kind of retrain the brain, remold it. You can get it to a state where the next concussion doesn't cause those long-lasting symptoms because you're losing all those compensatory responses that um, the brain developed from the previous three concussions. Well, that's, um, I will say, I did better last year and I'm going to do better, especially as a coach. The concussion, and you probably deal with this so much, Nick, it's like that invisible injury that is just so hard sometimes to address. Yeah. Because, you know, especially with youth baseball players, a hard slide, a foul tip, and there's like, oh, the kid might feel a little funny. You know, what is that? So I, I definitely think, correctly so, concussion and concussion protocols are way more in the culture of sports than they were when we played. Yeah. I mean, sure. way more. Way more. Um, so it's definitely something I know that we're going to address, and I will. Um, Nick, if someone who's listening now wants to contact you or wants to contact your office or just wants to social you know, media yeah, or just something yeah, is, there, is there like an email or something that we can give to some captain's players to be like hey you're having these symptoms i know an expert it's nick yeah um the email is hard uh well the the website is um www.neurologicwellnessinstitute.com okay. um like i said we have four clinics we have one in chicago one in Wood, Illinois, uh, mine in Waukesha, and then we also have one down in Florida. Um, the, um, the social media, um, I'm at dr.nickschmied, um, and then my email is dr.nick at neurowellnessinstitute.com. Oh. Um, we can, you can maybe put it in the show notes or something if it's that easier. Yeah, or, we definitely uh, will. I can always text you information. We have your name spelled out, too. And, uh, Nick, really, really, really appreciate your time. I told Jake before this even started, I'm like, hey, if I know Nick at all, we're going to start him on a topic, and he'll keep going and going and going. And, again, it's because you know the area and because it matters to you, and it really matters to athletes. So, and we appreciate um, you yeah, very much, man. really appreciate you coming on. And uh, when your book is done, I want a signed copy. Same here. Deal? All right. Well, the, Thank you, Nick. Uh, Hang on for a second. We'll shut off the stream and we'll go from there. Captain's Corner, everybody, thank you for tuning in. We will be with you shortly. Yeah, we'll be back next week with some stuff. And uh, don't be afraid to hit up our social medias, too. Our Instagram is captains underscore corner underscore podcast. Listen, folks, it was the closest I could get to the real thing. (laughs) All right? Apparently, there's a lot of captains out there or people who think they're captains. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks again everybody for the support um if you have a a uh, topic of interest or a question for either coach matt and i or want to get some lessons uh you can get a hold of us through lakefront dugout or you can email us at captainscorner444 at gmail.com that's it for today later everybody great talk see you out there